0: Ryan, are you there?
1: Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world.
0: Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to the 70th edition. And I know it's the 70th edition because last Ooh. week we, uh, we digressed. We didn't mention it was the 69th episode. So it was the 69th episode last week, and it's the, tonight is the 70th episode. Ryan, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I bet Rob Gronkowski somewhere is giggling and is very proud of us. I think he
0: actually listened to last week's show.
1: He probably did. He, you know what he does? He <laughs> goes on his little podcast app, whatever he uses, Spotify or just uh, searches or Apple for sixty nine, and he looks for sixty nine, and whatever pops up, he just listens to that episode. So he definitely
0: heard. Well, this. maybe he's going to listen to this episode. So Gronk, if you're out there listening, we appreciate the support. Spread it around to all of yours and your girlfriend's friends, and uh, and we would like that. But uh, it is Tuesday night, Ryan, January the twenty first, twenty twenty. Uh, I've got an early morning flight to Richmond, Virginia with my wife and kids tomorrow morning. So let's get let's get it on here so I can get some sleep before my wife wakes us up way earlier than we need to be woken up. <laughs> uh, the Super Bowl matchup is set, man. Niners-Chiefs, I think it's going to be a doozy. That's both our good of the week. What's your take?
1: Yeah, my, my good of the week really is just the performance that the 49ers mm-hmm. uh, put on. On Sunday afternoon into Sunday evening. I mean, it was just, it was so impressively dominant. I think part of it is that the, the Packers may not have been as good as their record, may not have been as good as their seed. Um, but that notwithstanding, I can't remember the last time I, I really felt like I watched a team impose their will in such a way. And, you know, we've seen plenty of teams in the NFL, even this season, just blast other teams um, with the skill set that they have, with the, the weapons that they have at their disposal. But, The way the Niners just committed to the run and said, we're not going to pass because we don't have to, was was jaw-dropping for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was was such a, like, balls-on-the-table moment for Shanahan. Not because it was risky, but because it's like, here's what I'm doing. Try and stop it. You can't. And it, it was so impressive to watch. I think we are in for an awesome matchup. In this Super Bowl, I think obviously the Vegas line being around one or one and a half Mm -hmm. reflects that uh, everyone anticipates it will be a good matchup. And I I hope that does come to fruition. But I think that Kansas City, listen, they score fast and the way that they score is impressive. Patrick Mahomes is an absolute freak, but I haven't been nearly as impressed with them as I have been with the 49ers, and, and you can argue really? the 49ers' path it isn't... Uh, yeah, I, I haven't been. I mean, I, I know the comeback was incredible, but I felt like, in a lot of ways, Houston... Which, which one? Uh, well, so, I mean, I think it's... Them coming back both times is impressive in and of itself, but at the same time, they should not have been in those holes. And if not for Houston, kind of gagging... I don't know that – I mean, I know they, they want it going away, but they've looked at times undisciplined, and I think if they go into a hole like that against the 49ers, the Niners aren't going to let them out of it. I, I think that it's it just wire to wire the 49ers have been more impressive in their wins. Now, the way that the Chiefs have racked up points in bunches in quick spurts has been incredibly impressive. I'm not discounting how explosive they are, how impressive their offense is has been, but I think the 49ers on both sides of the ball have just looked so comfortable and dominant and in cruise control the entire time. Like they haven't looked like they've even broken a sweat doing what they're doing. And the Chiefs definitely have. So I'm I'm pumped for the matchup. I think the Chiefs are gonna give the Niners all they can handle. But as far as my good of the week, I've just I I've been blown away at the 49ers' dominance, especially just kind of asserting their their will with the run game, 42 carries to just eight passes on Sunday.
0: Okay, well, I think that's a great breakdown. I largely agree. I think that you're looking at it more from Jed York tinted glasses than I am. Um, you know, I think I, you know, you're a lifelong Niners fan. I'm honestly surprised to hear you say that you just decidedly think that they're going to win this game. I, I
1: think No, 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 getting... I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Okay. I, said, I said that I thought they were more
0: dominant and more, more okay. impressive. So
1: do you uh, think in, that they, like,
0: are it. you picking them to win the Super Bowl?
1: I think they will. I don't think it'll be easy, and I don't okay. think they're going to dominate them, but I think that if they get out on the Chiefs 10-0, it could be trouble for KC.
0: Okay, that's fair. I I don't want to pick the Super Bowl on this show. I think it's too early. I need to see how things develop, and honestly, I just think it's too close to call. Generally, when a Super Bowl matchup is set, I know pretty much right away who I want against the spread. And this game, I really don't. Um, For me, it's almost a stay away. Um, Gun to my head, if I had to put $10 on one side or the other right now, I would probably put it on the 49ers, but I don't know.
1: I mean, I think – And I'm not that confident about yeah. it. I'm just picking a side because I, I thought I had to. But no, 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 I, uh i I'm with Yeah, you. I, I think that we're – I mean, I would lean 49ers. I also do have a uh, a five-and-a-half-to-one ticket on the 49ers to win the Super Bowl the week after they lost to Baltimore. I bought that one, so I got to decide rather- I yeah, so okay. I got to defi- decide whether I would like to hedge that or just kind of or just roll with it. It's not for a, an exceptionally large sum. It's not. And roll it's not with gonna, it. So I, I think that I am just going to roll with it. Yeah, it would I essentially
0: the re- replenish the sportsbook
1: account. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, but who am I to tell you or any other man or woman what to do with their money? So you should really do
1: it. <laughs> well, I value your advice, Michael.
0: Um. I was equally impressed with both teams. I like you. uh, Well, we said it on the show last week. We both bet on both favorites to win. I don't like betting on favorites, Mm -hmm. but I felt pretty good about both. I felt better about the Niners, and I was right. Um, I was nervous about the Chiefs when they went down 10 just because of the respect I have for that Titans team and their Mm -hmm. ability to control the line of scrimmage and run the rock with King Henry. Uh, Credit to the Chiefs for shutting the King down completely. In the second half and once the Chiefs got that lead I mean really the whole game obviously changed on Patrick Mahomes scamper down the left sideline right before the half Uh, you know from there it was basically good night Irene for the Tennessee Titans incredible Uh, and you know for my money Patrick Mahomes is probably not only the best quarterback in the NFL right now but the best player in the NFL if I had to pick one player to have on my team in this Super Bowl any player in the NFL, I would pick number 15 for the Kansas City Chiefs. I just think I would he's agree. fabulous. Uh, he's obviously, well, I don't want to say obviously, but right now he's the next superstar in yeah. not only the NFL but all of American team sports. I mean, we're going to detail it later. Baseball's a non-factor right now, and and Steph Curry's hurt, and LeBron is getting up there in years. So, I mean, I think that throne – is wide open for someone to take. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady's, uh, you know, obviously he is not getting any younger. So I just think Mahomes is the next superstar in American pro sports. He's going to win at least one Super Bowl. I mean, Super Bowls are hard to win. So, you know, everyone thinks he's going to win a bunch, uh, but nothing is guaranteed, and this is his first shot. Who knows if it'll be his only shot. Uh, but, I, you know, hard to go against Mahomes and that offense and you know as for the Niners I like you I thought the Packers were a little bit overrated you know I listen to uh, the Ryan Rosillo and Chris Long podcast every Monday Mm -hmm. on the Ringer I've been listening to that all season I think they do an excellent job of breaking it down and uh, you know they've both been saying all year that the Packers are not nearly as good as their record and I've just kind of followed their advice I don't watch it, you know, I didn't play defensive end in the NFL as Chris Long did. I don't know football like he does. I really respect Russillo's opinion on this stuff. And, you know, I just think that the Packers just aren't that amazing. I, you know, the things that stand out and the things that don't, uh, Mike Lombardi, the former GM who now hosts a show on VEASAN, uh, Brett Musburger's Gambling Network, went on air today and said that basically called out uh, Matt LaFleur for being a shitty coach and called out him and the defensive coordinator for flat out not having the, the team ready to play. I don't know about that. I just thought they were outmanned and, and outplayed, honestly. I mean, I'm not really sure what they could have done. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is the story here for what he didn't do, not so much what he did do. He threw it eight times for only 77 yards in that game, which is just amazing. I mean, it's incredible... George Kittle caught one pass. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders caught zero passes. You know, they had the two end-arounds to Debo Samuel. He only touched the ball four times, Ryan. He ran it for 43 yards on two touches. He caught two balls for 46 yards. I mean, that was your offense, but the story of the game was this guy Raheem Mostert. Who I love. I mean, it's amazing to me that a running back in the NFL is actually like a really big surfer. I think that's so cool. You know, Tevin Coleman, who actually got the start, suffers the dislocated shoulder in the first half. Mostert comes in. This is his seventh team. Everybody knows the story by now. Uh, unheralded player out of Purdue, seven cut by six teams. This is his seventh. He toted the rock, Ryan. 29 times for 220 (coughs) yards and four trips inside of those specially painted red end zones there at Levi's Stadium. So just an incredible, I mean, truly statistically, one of the great performances in the history of the NFL playoffs, which is a long and storied history of greatness. So, I mean, just incredibly impressed with everything the Niners did with Kyle Shanahan, with John Lynch, I mean, turning that whole thing around. Hold on here, I want to pull up this stat that I saw uh, Field Yates tweeted out the other day, and I actually retweeted it. So the 49ers are the first team to ever follow four straight seasons with 10-plus losses with a Super Bowl appearances. The, the previous wins, the, the previous four years, uh, the to- win totals, I should say, sorry. The win totals of previous four years, five wins, two wins, Six wins and then four wins last year in a season that was obviously mired by Jimmy G tearing his ACL in the first game of the season. Now he's healthy. They're healthy. They've gotten all those defensive players back. They went 13 and three, as you noted. They cruise in two games at home in the playoffs. But I just think the Chiefs are a totally different animal than the Vikings or the Packers when they face like the Packers in two weeks.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's a completely different type of opponent. Uh, San Francisco hasn't played someone of this caliber in, at in about a month. Yeah. If you go back to the Seahawks, and I don't think the Seahawks are even are, are nearly in the same in, caliber.
0: Back until the back-to-back roadies against Baltimore and New Orleans. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're probably right. I mean, the, the I expect the Chiefs to give them everything that they the Niners can handle. I do think that the Niners have the right type of defensive front um, to. I think actually make Mahomes scramble a little bit less and try to set those edges a little bit. I'm not going to put my X's and O's hat on too much, but I think that where he kind of thrives is a little bit in that Rogers mold where he gets to float around outside the pocket and let guys just use their speed to, to burn the secondary by buying time. And uh, I think San Francisco's decent enough at doing that. I don't think they're going to stop him from doing that, but I think that they can, Throw a couple different looks at him and uh, try to keep him between the tackles just enough to, to make it a really, really competitive game. But no doubt, like you said, he will be the best player on the field uh, come Super Bowl Sunday. But the, the turnaround, as you mentioned, for the Niners, super impressive. I, I heard a, a little anecdote about how that um, the 49ers coaching staff uh, coached the Senior Bowl last year in Mobile and they had a, a dinner where uh, John Lynch had everybody out and uh, and said and they and they coined the term from Mobile to Miami and uh, even a year ago at this point when they were so far away from making the playoffs they essentially said why not and uh, and they did so with guys like Raheem Mostert and uh, I mean it's amazing when you look at the path uh, that he was on and how little he produced in college how little he produced elsewhere in the NFL it's I think a testament to his hard work that he's doing this now but also the 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 system that Kyle Shanahan has built and the uh, the blocking schemes around him, I don't know that it's plug and play, but uh, they, th- some of the holes that Mostert had to run through uh, made it look pretty damn easy too. So uh, hats off, really, all the way around to the O line, the run game, the coaching staff, all of them.
0: Cool, and I've got some you know I've got some other comments and thoughts as far as storylines go. Let's save it for next week when we don't have yeah, next any, week will be any, any actual games to talk about.
1: So <laughs> right. let,
0: let's move forward. Uh, what's your bad of the week?
1: Uh, my bad of the week, I, I don't think I've gone down this road in, in some time, but it kind of reminded me of your uh, your deli complaint of uh, <laughs> podcasts gone by.
0: Yeah.
1: Where I went to get my hair cut today, and it has been ages. I mean, maybe decades since i've had a quote-unquote bad haircut Uh and i don't i don't even think that today would qualify as a bad haircut i think that if you saw me you would think it looks normal my wife even thinks that it looks normal but it's just not what i asked for like it is (laughs) the guy i felt like i was not paid attention to i felt like the, the proper care wasn't taken And, I mean, maybe shame on me for not having, like, a regular person I go to. But, you know, my hair's thinning. There's not a ton of it left. It's not that hard. It's just the version you see make it a little bit shorter than that. And uh, this guy just went completely off the script. He was using clippers, and he had no business using clippers. And he had me facing away from the mirrors the entire time, so I couldn't tell that he was screwing up my hair uh, because I couldn't see myself. And uh, there, there were a lot of things that uh, that bothered me about this haircut because I mostly was faced away from being able to see myself and just trusting that this guy had it figured out. As it turned out, he did not, at least according to the way that I wanted it. I was pretty descriptive. I even showed him photos of what it should look like. Uh, he fell well short of the mark. And uh, well, it's fine. Will you fine. please
0: tweet out a picture for, for me and the
1: fans? It's not like it, it's not going to be... It'll be completely underwhelming. It, but it's just, it was one of those service moments. And, like, I, I knew, Michael, that this was going to be bad from the start. Like, I walk in. I just, I don't get the greatest vibe from this dude. First like, time, right away. First time visit
0: to this particular
1: establishment? And the, Yeah, and the worst part about that is I, I had been going to a chain that was somewhat hit and miss. That was nearby. And I looked up reviews of local barbers, and this re- this review had a full star more on more reviews, and it was like an independent shop. And I'm like, cool, locally owned business, better reviews, higher barbershop. Was it bar- a barber you
0: know. shop, or was it more of a salon? Barber
1: shop. Nope, it was a barber shop. Mm, it was a barber shop. That's disappointing.
0: Because if you yeah. had gone to a salon and paid 80 bucks or whatever, I'd probably be making fun of you,
1: but this was no no
0: fault of your own.
1: No, this was a, this was a $30 haircut. Um, and, and so like, it's not, I'm not expecting the moon, but at the same time I, I, I bailed on the chain place. I'm like, I'll give this local shop a shot and I sit down and like immediately I just like, I kind of feel like he's not really paying attention. And then he's making like the requisite small talk. Right. And, uh, And somehow it comes back around where I'm asking him, like, oh, so, like, how long have you been in Portland or or something along those lines? And he's like, how long have I been here, like, at the shop? Oh, just, like, a week and a half. And I'm, like, a third of the way into my haircut. I'm like, oh, shit. This is not what I want to hear. It's like, I mean, it's not like he was performing surgery on me, and it wasn't like he hadn't cut hair before. Right. But I'm like, oh, this, I thought this was bad from the start. Now it's too late to do anything about it. And then you're in the position where I feel like Larry David, where he's like, hey, like, what do you think? How does it look? And, like, he can't put any of the hair back on that he trimmed too short, so, like... What am I gonna do? Be like, actually, it looks like shit. I want you to fix it. Like that, that won't work. So you just kind of look at it and you're like, yeah, that's good. And you just kind of pick up and leave. And it, you know, I mean, you could make an issue. You could tell them that's not what I wanted. But the hay is in the barn, so uh, it's just it's one of those it's one of those little life pet peeves that happens so infrequently. But when it does, yeah, really, really gets you up in arms.
0: Yeah, you know. I feel bad for you on some level, but I... you I, shouldn't. It, it is not
1: noticeably bad. It's just not what
0: I asked. I for. understand. You feel ripped off. I get it. Um, interestingly, I went with my two year old son yesterday, and we both got haircuts back to back at this nice. place that's like caters to kids, but they also have some adult chairs. And so that did was you guys a both fun get experience. A lollipop? Uh, I needed yeah, one. Does. You know,
1: you're not a sweets guy. You didn't get a lollipop, did you?
0: I, they do have lollipops. But you Jake didn't have one. Jake got one, and he got one for his brother, and I abstained.
1: Ah, well, that's nice of Jake.
0: Yeah, it was nice of Jake. Um, you know, my hair's terrible. I'm totally bald on top now. I'm graying on the sides. I'm hopeless. You know, honestly, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like shit no matter what. I'm lucky that I have a loving wife. And you know I'm never gonna have good hair ever again, and I haven't for probably eight or nine years. So, I, you know, I go to the barber shop now. I try to find the cheapest possible one because yeah. really, it's almost impossible to fuck up. And I, you know, I sit down <laughs> in the chair and I and they say, "What do you want?" I'm just like, "I don't know." Like, try to make it look halfway decent. I got nothing. To do.
1: <laughs> well, that was the thing is my my haircut is not one that's particularly difficult. It's a pretty <laughs> standard look. So well, I didn't you have think I like full I
0: was... had a Ryan. So I mean, no, it, it, it's it's,
1: it's, a, it's thinning. A different... It needs to be so. There are some things about it which I realize maybe this was some of my own fault, but like because it's thinning, it does need to be a little bit longer in part so that it'll just lay down. Um, but you yeah. know, it, it's it's all it's all mostly there, but it just wasn't done a specific way.
0: Yeah, my my only thing is, and I and I'm always very specific to
1: tell. I like the make, you make it. it look halfway decent, I don't care.
0: No, that's literally what I say. That, I'm, not, I'm not making that. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't believe you. I, say, I love it. I say, try and make it look halfway decent. I really don't care. And then I and then I say, I never put any product in it. And that's it. And that's all I ever say. There you go. You know, and let them go from there. So. Uh, that is our first ever Buck and Saks show hair discussion, I think. And yeah, you know what? We could replace
1: LeBron on the shop.
0: We could. Or the, uh, the Nick Saban, the Alabama football version that LeBron tried to sue Alabama for, for copyright infringement that was later dropped because he realized that he didn't actually come up with the term the shop, or he didn't really come up with the idea for a barber shop where people sit around and shoot the shit. So that was a fun little... What a side. jack wagon. Yeah. Um, what's my bad of the week?
1: My bad um, of the
0: week. I'm going to try to keep this brief. I, the asterisks. The Astros. Yes. We we got on them last week. Since we discussed it, uh, Carlos Beltran got fired from the Mets before ever coaching a single practice for the Mets, much less a game. Uh, your boy Alex Cora was let go by the Boston Red Sox and the MLBs investigating that. And we've had some other stuff, too. Um Mainly these accusations that Altuve and Bregman and maybe some other Astros were wearing wearable buzzers under the video by now. That fire has seemed to simmer uh, a little bit, but I don't know where that's going to go. They and Bregman show up and talk to the media at FanFest last Saturday, which honestly, I was shocked that they even came, much less talk to the media. But they didn't say anything, and what they did say made them look guilty as hell. Um I don't know if you saw what they what they said and how they said it but both of them to me came across looking about as guilty as you can. Yeah. Yep. And you know I just think the whole thing is terrible. If it's can be proven that these guys were wearing wearable buzzers, I would be perfectly happy if they got banned from MLB for life. Mm. And I honestly mean that. I don't think that was is what will happen, but it's probably what should happen. And, you know, it just seems like this was, we, we knew it was bad. It seems like it's actually way worse than we ever imagined. I don't know what to believe with the buzzer thing. To me, the most compelling pieces of video are what I, A, already referred to, just how guilty they looked and sounded. And, B, the it's not so much that video of Altuve crossing home plate before he's mobbed by his teammates that everyone keeps mm-hmm. playing after he hit the the ding-dong off a rolled as Chapman to go to the World Series in 2017. It's the, why the hell did he run into the dugout oh, for the and, same and go damn up reason. into the clubhouse? It's crazy. I mean, that that sh- the shot of him as his teammates are celebrating winning the AL pennant that he just hit a home run to take them to, he runs into the clubhouse and comes out with a T-shirt on. I mean, I don't, it's just, crazily suspicious to me but again i don't know what to believe but then we had your girl uh jessica mendoza who's employed both by espn and by the mets come out and get on fires for for blowing the whistle she got roundly roasted on social media as she should have she later issued a, a weak statement where she tried to michael jackson moonwalk it back Weak, weak, weak on her part. She shouldn't be allowed to be employed by the Mets and also work for Agreed. ESPN and cover it. It's crazy. You know, there, there's only one sport where that's somewhat okay, and that's NASCAR. And I have a problem with that, but NASCAR, you know, is a different animal it, than, than MLB. It, it's ridiculous that she's... And, and A-Rod, who she's in the booth with, It works for the Yankees. I mean, it just is insane. And then today, Pedro Martinez, who I generally like and respect, he came out and basically blasted Mike Fires for blowing the whistle as well. You know, that's just ridiculous. This, This cheating scandal is so bad, you know, I have no problem with him blowing the whistle. If it was something minor, you know, if it was something where he exposed one of his teammates for, you know, say, cheating on his wife, or even using steroids, I, you know, that probably isn't cool. But this this cheating that went on by the Astros and maybe the Red Sox and, and some other teams, too, that it's rumored, is so bad. It just sucks so bad that it, it absolutely had to be exposed. And, I, and I'm happy that Fires did it. But this whole thing, Ryan, I mean, it is so bad for the sport of baseball. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It just seems like MLB wants to sort of make it all go away and it probably will i guess at some point but i don't know it it is it just it totally sucks that's my bad um it
1: it does totally suck it is the more information that comes out the worse it continues to look i i think the the various blaming of Mike fires here is completely ludicrous. Whether it's people saying he shouldn't have said anything or whether it's people on the other side saying, well, it's only, it's convenient that you come out and say it after you're not on the team anymore. Well, what did you want him to do? While he's playing for the team rat out the other 24 guys that he was playing with, he'd be, he would be, he'd be so far cast out of baseball. He'd be blackballed, you know, just as would, uh, any other person who had basically turned their entire back on a locker room, there's no way you can do that. Um, I, I don't blame him at all. I think that he understood probably, and I don't mean to make this sound bigger than it is, but this is something that like legitimately affects people's livelihoods. Guys could be uh, – lo- pitchers could be losing their careers over And being sent back down or not getting their next contract because of somebody taking them deep in a middle or late inning. I mean, there, there are guys on the Astros who are going to put up better stats than guys on other teams who weren't getting that help that are going to get better free agent contracts. I mean, maybe, maybe not now, but... I think someone had to say something and and the, the concept that fires was either wrong for saying something when he did or wrong or wrong for not saying something sooner are both ridiculous. The fact that he came out and said anything and brought this to light when uh, according to reports, other people tried to run this up the line quietly and without bringing it to the media. And apparently it was ignored at some levels or, or, or was not paid any, any mind to or attempted to be swept under the rug. So, um, I I mean I'm, I'm not saying that like I think it's a great thing now that baseball has this on their hands, but I'm not mad at my fires over any of this. It's 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 no. it's it's, it's all, everybody in Houston and Boston who's and anybody else who's been implicated in this who, who we can point the finger at. And I just think I, I'm with you. I would be fine with very long suspensions if we find that uh, the buzzers were in fact being used. I mean that that's ludicrous to me. It's worse than steroids. Um, I think knowing knowing what pitch is coming it, it is different than adding an extra mph to your fastball or adding 20 feet to uh, a long ball. It, it just it's it's not even in the same league for me. And if these guys essentially you know robbed the game like that, and not to sound all like old school baseball flamman, but like. That 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 it, it just it's such an unforgivable thing to do to really you know the game and everyone around you. Though I will say this though, it's a really bad look for baseball. I don't actually know that it's bad for baseball, and I don't mean to get hot takey here. But this—I no, saw you tweet about this, and I, and I generally
0: on some level agree.
1: But yeah, it is the most I've seen anyone talk about baseball in mainstream social media in a really long time maybe since the existence of social media i mean i follow baseball people and you do too so we see a lot of baseball content but i saw it in far more uh from far more mainstream people not so much the baseball people it was flooding my timeline really over the last week that all this information has been getting unearthed i think that it's it's you know, it's, it's part of that debate, is, is bad news better than no news? And I think in this case it might be because I think it's brought a lot of attention. I think people are going to want to watch Astros games this year. I don't know if that's like people wanting to watch a train wreck or just people wanting to uh, root against the villain. I don't know that it's bad for the attention of the game. No, I don't, I don't disagree, but it's not good for the game. I'm not, I don't I mean, think it's just... good, but I don't think it's turning people away necessarily either.
0: No, I, I would agree with that. I am interested to see just how miserable these Astros players' lives are going to be when spring training starts. You know, I mean, at what point are they going to just say, we're not answering any more questions about this? I would say they're going to try to do that pretty early, but it, they're going to have to go city to city, and the local media is obviously going to want to talk to them about it. And then on top of that, they're going to get booed to hell on, in every road game they go to. And I am interested to see how their fans sort of react to all of this too. Are they going to rally behind the team? Or are there going to be some people that just aren't Astros fans anymore? I would say it's probably going to be more the former than the latter. That's just how sports fans kind of are. But this is a bad... I mean, I don't see how anyone can actually come out and support this. I mean, they've basically made the entire 2017 postseason... A complete sham and a fraud. I mean, honestly.
1: Well, that, the worst that's, part that's is that like, we, we don't know how it should have been. Because there's a chance they might have won it on their own merit anyways, but we will never know.
0: Not a good one. Right. I mean, that, to go down to Game 7 uh, in, in the ALCS, it, not, not a good... And then they went to Game 7 against the Dodgers. And, the, you know, I am fascinated by the fact that that happened and they won. And then last year... Against the Nationals, the home team didn't win a single game in the series. So the Nationals, you know, we we now know that pretty much every, uh, probably every player in baseball at least suspected that something like this was going on by the time the last year's World Series happened. You know, I go back to, there were a lot of comments I remember before last season. And I remember they asked, you know, there was like one of those player polls before the season started. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, like, who has the best front office? And everybody said it was the Astros. And then there were some comments where, you know, things like they're just so far ahead of the competition and things like that. And it kind of struck me as odd to see that at the time. And now looking back on it, you kind of see what they were actually trying to say without coming out and fully saying it. And, you know, the Nationals, after they won four games in Houston, all four games in the World Series, you know, uh, I think it was Steven Strasburg, after his great performance, said, you know, we know, we knew that we had to change up our signs a lot. So we had a plan for that. And now reading between the lines even more, they knew darn well the Astros were trying to steal their signs. So if they knew, everyone else knew, so why weren't more teams trying to change up their signs more like the Nationals? Now, again, no blame to these other teams for not changing up their signs. You know, this is all on and the And maybe Nationals they were trying. Maybe, the it's a, maybe
1: it's a situation where the veterans were able to pick it up. But if you had younger players, younger pitchers, uh, language barriers. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know these guys are professionals. But at the same time, I, it might not be as easy as just saying, let's change it up more.
0: You may be right, uh, but I don't know. Knowing what I know about baseball, I don't think it would be that. I tough wouldn't think so for either. Just the pitcher and the catcher to get on the same side and to get on the you know get on the same page with their signs and and change them up every inning if you have to. I just don't think that would be that tough.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that is reasonable enough that that you could. I mean, just decide that the numbers are going to be different, use a different signal. I mean, we had people trying to steal signs the old-fashioned way. When I played youth ball growing up, and we would have, uh, you know, depending on whether the catcher, the last thing he touched before he went like got into his crouch was his knee pad his knee protector, his his mask, or his chest protector. Like one, two, and three. There's a million things you could do: grab the dirt, toss the dirt, brush the dirt. Uh, you know, taps, yeah. what, whatever. Change up the 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 different cadences. It's the third sign. It's the first sign. Whatever. There there are a million things.
0: There are there are there are a million things, but. Again, no onus on the other teams here. I just do find it kind of an interesting sidebar. So uh, that is my bad of the week. What's your interesting? Um,
1: my interesting of the week is something that, uh, that really kind of came about last night for me. And I guess a little bit this morning, too, as I was thinking about it. And I know you watch a lot of Warriors basketball. Did you happen to watch the Warriors' overtime loss to Damian Lillard and the Blazers last night?
0: Yeah, you know, I did watch a little bit. When I got in bed, I I turned the game on, and there was about, uh, I turned it on on my phone, and there was about three minutes left in overtime. So I saw just the end of it, but, I mean, I couldn't believe how many freaking points he had. He had 61, right, in 11 threes?
1: 61 and 11 threes. He was a perfect 16 for 16 from the uh, free throw line as well. But just a monstrous performance. Uh, I believe the Blazers were down to seven players that night because they had – C.J. McCollum was out with an ankle injury, and then they just uh, – they were in the middle of executing a trade with Sacramento in which they right. were sending a couple pieces away, and they didn't have reinforcements from the G League yet. So it was – even though it was an undermanned Warriors team and and just you know a, a banged-up and bad Warriors team – he was still essentially kind of doing it single-handedly. I think through regulation, he had 50% of his team's points. And uh, I mean, he was, but he was, the degree of difficulty on his shots is, it will never be like, no, I don't know that every, anyone will have a, a season quite like Steph's unanimous MVP season where he's running around and at and, and all different speeds, fading all different directions, seems to be able to hit everything in sight. But the degree of difficulty on some of the shots he was hitting last night was absolutely ridiculous and the way he was getting to the basket when he was overcrowded on the three. I mean, he, he was shooting it from deep, side to side. He was, he was driving between people, reverse lay-ins, every type of way, getting to the line that you can think about. And it really had me thinking yeah. this morning, what does a team like the Blazers do? with a guy like Damian Lillard. Because clearly, he's the guy who is a centerpiece of a championship-winning team, I think. When you look at him play, if he were in a market like Chicago or L.A. or New York, he would be more of a household name than he even is now. And I'm not sure that he is really nationally. I know that he is probably on the West Coast and and for basketball
0: fans. He has become one uh, with with some of those big playoff moments, I
1: I think. And I think so, too, but... It feels like Portland is in this state of purgatory where they've tried to move up in the draft. They've tried signing free agents. They've hit on a couple people here and there, but they've been banged up with injury. They've had the warriors to compete with for a lot of years. I don't see them competing for a championship anytime soon. And I don't really see them doing it in Damian Lillard's prime. And he's been really loyal to them. They've been really loyal to him. He's being paid handsomely. They have they have they've, they've treated him right. Well, they just signed him, like he's only in the second year right. of a new deal, and, and right? Correct, correct. The second year of a five-year deal, so he's supposed to be here for the long haul. But realistically, and I know things can change in, a, in with a couple picks or a couple signings, but the upcoming free agent class doesn't look great. The upcoming draft class doesn't look great, and a team like the Blazers—I'm not talking about them specifically—but really in the NBA. Do you believe that you either kind of have to be all in or all out to essentially chase your fortunes? Because I feel like some of these middling teams that have one or in some instances two really good players, but not nearly enough depth to truly be competitive as a contender in their conference. It feels like they're going to be there forever. And the of the Blazers, I know they made a Western conference finals against the Warriors, um, but that was in in part due to some circumstances with injuries of the opponents they played. A lot of it was on their own merit, but I think that's as close as this team with Damian Lillard is going to get. So what are they realistically supposed to do and teams like them supposed to do when you have a guy that has the goods, but maybe your, your window's closing or, and, and isn't going to reopen with that player there?
0: Yeah, you know, this is a very deep and complex conversation. My basic feeling on this is this, you're in a market like Portland. And, I mean, how many teams are really in in that boat? Probably seven or eight, I guess, would you say?
1: How, that are in a, uh, in, you're saying teams that are just in a market like the, like Portland, or like...
0: Yeah, where where it's, you're not going to attract many, if any, free agents.
1: Yeah, I would, yeah, I think probably, maybe even less than that. Maybe five or six cities like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, just off the top of my head, Sacramento... Portland, Minneapolis, maybe Oklahoma City, Minneapolis, Memphis,
1: Indiana, Charlotte, maybe
0: Indiana, Orlando, Is uh, even Orlando, probably like New Orleans, golf. I don't know.
1: Orlando seems appe- slightly appealing.
0: I mean, Phoenix hadn't drawn too many big time free agents, yeah. so I don't know, but they probably should. So more, probably more than I originally suspected. and We're probably leaving off a couple to be to be fair. Um, you know, I would put the Wizards probably in that category too, not because they shouldn't be able to, but just because they never do.
1: Well, yeah, but, they're one of those teams that they never have a complete enough team to really compete, but they've got these really good players with these really big contracts who want to be there, and they want them there, but I don't think they're getting over the hump.
0: Yeah, so, okay, I agree. And, and so here's my point. If you look at all those franchises I just named, the Blazers have had as much, if not more, success – than every single one of them mm-hmm. in the last 15 years with the exception of the Thunder. And they drafted Westbrook, Durant, and Harden. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's really hitting the jackpot. So my point is, you know, if you're the Blazers, I think they've done pretty damn well. I don't know if they should really go out and make a bunch of crazy moves. I mean, in some ways, I feel like they've kind of decided to dance with the date that they came yeah. with, so to speak. I mean, they re-signed both McCollum and Lillard, whether or not that was the right move, I'm not sure. You know, I thought that they, you know, they went to the Western Conference Finals last year. They were the benefit, they benefited from some other teams being injured, but they still went to the Western mm-hmm. Conference Finals. They got swept. But, you know, I felt like coming into this year with with the addition of Whiteside, and then if they could get Nurkic back, that they would have a team that could contend for the Western Conference Finals, and I don't know. I mean, Nurkic just came back. McCullum's gonna come back. The season, there's a lot of season left. I'd like to see how this team can play when everybody's healthy. Mm-hmm. I still think that this team could be dangerous if healthy in the playoffs. Do you agree with that, or or, I, uh, or has that so
1: I did. I, maybe I thought that initially when Rodney before Rodney Hood blew his Achilles, and yeah. and I actually thought that both. Um, as like probably eighth and ninth players in the rotation, I thought Kent Bazemore and Anthony Tolliver were both going to be nice additions off the bench. Bazemore from an energy and defense standpoint, Tolliver just adding a shooter who can stretch the floor a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, both of the guys, those guys were not good. And both of them just got shipped off to Sacramento. So now they're bringing Trevor Ariza back um, in, in exchange. Uh, I don't know. People have said that that'll make it interesting with – who plays where with Carmelo on board, but I think they're probably both going to start and Carmelo is going to play the four uh, is what it sounds like. And I, I do think part of it would be interesting if, if you had Zach Collins and you had Nurkic healthy, but I also feel like their ceiling is that Western conference finals. I don't know that they're really and you know, a lot of teams ceiling is the Western conference finals, but then do you keep just banging your head into that same door or do you think we have to reinvent this?
0: Yeah, I just... Again, I think that... And you know what? The 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 Raptors might have
1: backed into one. You know, like, just because of circumstances similar to the ones we're talking about where things just kind of break right. And if you're you're not going all in, then you miss those opportunities. So...
0: Yeah, I look at... Here's how I look at the NBA, Ryan. I think you need to have three Hall of Fame caliber players kind of in their prime to win an NBA championship. And last year... I felt like the Raptors kind of defied that. They basically had one, and then Lowry and Siakam, and then uh, Gasol, what not, was it Gasol? Yeah. Yeah. Mark Mark Gasol. You know, none of them are probably going to the Hall of Fame, although I guess Mark Gasol might. Probably not. But, you know, that, that was kind of lightning in a bottle, as you said. But generally speaking, I think you need two, like, absolute superstars and a third guy who's like a borderline hall of fame player. If you look at the history of the NBA, that's the the championship teams are usually that. There may be an exception every now and then, you know, Dirk's Mavericks were kind of an exception to that, but they had some guys, you know, in the in not so much in their prime, but older guys that were really good like Jason Terry and Tyson Chandler and guys like that. So, my point is the Blazers have two of those guys, right? In McCollum and Lillard. I mean, you know, McCollum—they're both guards. They're a little bit undersized. They're not great defenders, but they're probably both going to the Hall of Fame. I think. Oh, I don't think I don't think, think
1: McCollum McCull- is. I think McCollum's a nice scorer, but I think I think Lillard is in a is in a league totally different than McCollum.
0: Okay, so you know, my point is they look at it like that. They've got two guys. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find a third, whether it's Whiteside or Nurkic or or now Carmelo, Rodney Hood. I mean, obviously not Car, You know, Carmelo's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's a, but you see what I'm trying to say. They're trying to find that third piece. I think a lot of teams throughout the history of the NBA have been in the exact same boat where they've got two pieces. They're looking for the third and then to add depth. So I just think that the Blazers are in a, a weird spot. But I think that you know, a third at least of the teams in the league would trade places with the Blazers in a heartbeat. And for that, you know, they're selling tickets, they're making the playoffs, they're interesting, you know, they're making money. So from an ownership perspective, I just, you know, to blow it all up and start from scratch knowing you're not going to get some big-time free agents to come, I think that they've made the right moves. I really do.
1: Yeah, and I don't necessarily doubt the moves they've had. I just... I now contemplate, like, what, what is the right way to go about this? Whether – do you just try to weather the storm of other teams being good in their championship windows? Do you just say we can't be choosy about that? We've, we've got to put the chips we have in, or do you say we've got to find a way to reinvent this thing? And I think that some teams who have tried to go the reinvention route that might be starting to work for some of them, but it's really hard to say, and they're few and far between. I think the draft is becoming less and less reliable too, which I think makes it harder to blow to blow it all up. And really, you need to hit with the occasional draft pick, and you need to hit with the right free agents at the right time.
0: No, I agree, I agree. It, it is an interesting discussion of just from how you build a team in the NBA where you know you just it, more than any other sport with the patriots notwithstanding the sport lends itself to dynasties to five six year runs mm-hmm. and it's just it's just hard man yeah. it's really really difficult to acquire the the premium talent that you need to win an nba championship
1: yeah if you can find yourself in the situation with the right coach two stars and and a, and a close third plus a salary cap situation that allows you to to put together a respectable bench. That's like, but that's such a hard formula to achieve, but that's what every champion recently has had is, uh, is a above, I think for the most part, an above average coach. And then a couple stars and the right cap situation to put the right pieces around those stars.
0: Yeah, I agree. Good. Interesting of the week. Uh, My interesting of the week is the baseball hall of fame. Hall of Fame voting that was revealed today. Derek Jeter falls one vote short of becoming the second unanimous selection in the history of the voting. And then Larry Walker of Expos and Colorado Rockies fame gets in barely on his 10th and final year of the ballot. Nobody else got in. You know, we blasted the Baseball Hall of Fame voters a year ago. It's hard to believe it's been a full year since that went down. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. But I've lost all faith in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Ryan. I just think it's become a joke. I think the the voters clearly, I don't know, either don't know what they're doing or don't take it seriously enough. Or, or they're trying you know, to make a the, statement
1: it, with their votes, which is which is equally yeah, stupid. It's, then it's about them and not about the player.
0: Right. And, it, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is the PED users. And the problem that I have with all of that is I just, you know, and I've said this before, and, and I, I just keep coming back to this. None of these writers know for sure who did what when it comes to steroids. We think Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Manny Ramirez all did. And, and, the, and there's other guys on that list that are suspected of being habitual PED users. We think they did it. But who's to say that Larry Walker never did any PED? Yeah, who, and I'm, got I'm into sure that there are... And I'm not accusing Larry... Yeah. Of uh, yeah, Larry had a great career. He was a great player offensively and defensively. I don't know, but no one else knows if Larry Walker did did steroids or not. So I, that's sort of the big fundamental problem that I have with the whole thing. I've got some other problems with it too, but that's my main thing. I mean, you can't look at this list of players and tell me that Derek Jeter and Larry Walker are the only two guys that are deserving of going to Cooperstown. It just makes no sense. It
1: makes no sense. And the, and the thing, and I think we got into this last year too, that I, I don't get is is the the statement or the, the kind of assumed statement that writers are making by saying, I'm not going to vote for him yet. Like right. when, when it comes right down to it, when he's on the margin, when the rubber hits the road – then I'll reveal my true vote. If that's the game you're playing, why do you have a vote in the first place? Is the guy who didn't vote on de- vote in Derek Jeter with that one ballot, is he going to vote for him next time? If so, why didn't he vote for him this time? Same thing with, the th- with Griffey being three votes away from being unanimous. I mean, I just, I don't get this. Well, he doesn't deserve to be a first ballot. Like the whole idea and concept of a first ballot Hall of Famer, Maybe there shouldn't be any number of ballots. I know the reason for that was because you could only allow so many people in per year, and therefore you have to roll people over, and that's why it existed. But what it's turned into for the writers is is a game trying to show how worthy someone is by how long they withhold a vote from that person, and it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and there's just so many inconsistencies. Yeah I mean, Kurt Schilling is a great example. You know, Kurt Schilling in my mind is a hall of famer. I mean, there's just really no doubt. Uh, and, and he's never been accused, I don't think at least by many of using performance enhancing drugs, but he's getting dinged for basically being an a-hole to the media for his whole career. And I think that's a stupid reason for not voting the guy in too, you know, because you don't like his political beliefs or whatever. You know, I don't agree really with
1: his po- political beliefs.
0: But he should be in the Hall of Fame. And you know what? He was a no great one knew player. or cared about
1: him when he played. So like when when he was winning championships for the Diamondbacks and Red Sox, it wasn't an issue then, and that's not his baseball legacy. And as people have said before, it's not the Hall of Good or the Hall of Righteousness. It's the Hall of Fame, and it's a baseball museum for the baseball greats, and he was one of them.
0: Right. And and so to your point, you know, Schilling, this was his eighth year on the ballot so he's got two more chances he got 70 percent this year you know i i would have to go back and look but i would bet in his first three or four seasons on the ballot he got probably like 30 percent. so now a whole bunch more people are voting for him so my question is why and and Mm -hmm. to your point if he if he's either he is or he isn't and for larry walker i think again good for larry walker really good player I don't think I would have voted for him. And I actually went and did a little research today. He probably is deserving. He's more deserving than I thought. And and sure, some of those numbers are are inflated by Coors Field. But a perfect example of that is this. How come Larry Walker is now deserving of of being in with the Coors Field inflated numbers? But Todd Helton... Exactly. He only got 29% of the vote. To me, Todd Helton is a... He's a whole famer. Well, and they're also, I mean, not, not, 50%, at Field. They're
1: also not 50% apart, you know, or for, you know, exactly. They're, they're not that far apart as baseball players. So what are we doing?
0: And, and then, you know, there's other inconsistencies. I said I wasn't going to go on, <laughs> but I am. And I'm not even like Bonds and Clemens and, and Sosa, you know, McGuire isn't even on the ballot anymore. He's done. I mean, the day that Mark McGuire retired, there's not a single baseball fan alive that thought Mark McGuire wasn't a first ballot hall. Right. And now he he's basically has no chance. But I'm not, not going to talk about McGuire, but I'm talking about just other inconsistencies. I mean, Larry Walker, great defensive player, <laughs> took him 10 years to get in. Omar Vizquel primarily known for his defense of prowess. He only got 52% of the vote. So it's just inconsistencies. I mean, uh, another great example is Andrew Jones, great defender, arguably the best defensive center fielder of all time, had a good run at the plate. I looked at his numbers. He compares actually favorably to Larry Walker in a lot of categories. He only got 19% of the vote. So it's like, do we, do we take defense into account for one guy? but not the other. And then, you know, this reliever thing, Billy Wagner got 31% of the vote. You know, I, you know, it took Lee Smith forever to get in. You know, Edgar Martinez was the first DH. The whole thing is just weird. And, and I don't know how these people are getting the votes. The system is terrible. It's made the, what should be a tremendous honor, kind of a joke. Uh, and I just hate the whole thing. I, I wish that somebody would step up And and redo the whole thing, but you know, turns out that baseball's got bigger problems on their hands, (laughs) as we detailed earlier in the show. But this this Hall of Fame thing fucking sucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you and I agree.
0: Okay, Um, let's hold off on in the book um, till next week, and let's talk about the Super Bowl next week. Uh, Do you have a wild card?
1: Uh, you know what? I do not have a wild card percolating tonight. I was I was still thinking about the game show question from last week, but I, I didn't have a new one uh, in the hopper. Do you have one? And you know what? Not I did. Really. I did, Michael. Here is what I was going to ask, and I thought it was a little bit too philosophical, not wild cardy enough. But did you see the Kansas Kansas State brawl tonight? I did. Okay. So obviously, <laughs> that's not good. That's not good at all. But no. in general. Like what are your feelings on fighting in sports? Like the and the way different sports handle it. In some cases, like you can't do anything and you'd be suspended. Like you know, so I uh, granted you in no sport can you pick up a stool and try to bash someone's head in with it and, and be okay, but in some sports, you throw a punch and you're going to miss a game or two. In other sports, you throw a punch and you might miss half the season and the rest of the season. Um, obviously, they let them fight a little bit in hockey. People are trying to get that out. There's mostly posturing with the occasional fight in baseball, which everyone seems to really enjoy, but seems to, you know. Really, be polarizing for people in football. You don't really see fights at all because people are just kicking each other's ass on the, on every play for the unless most part. Miles i was gonna say, it, except for the extreme circumstance, unless you uh, are an opponent of or play for the Steelers, in which uh, Miles Garrett might bash you over the head, or it, or the uh, former Steeler Antonio Brown might try to drop kick you on a punt return. But um right. but I mean, in general. Do you think fighting is good for sports? As far as yes. and and what what yes, should it, I do? So, but what should and should not be allowed? Should we still disallow all of it and just allow it to be a fun thing when it happens? Or yeah. h- how do you feel about it?
0: I think that it's good. You know, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that sports are entertainment, and I think that in you know, I do think that for better or for worse, and I think it's somewhat. Disingenuous and hypocritical to say this, but I think there's a clear difference here between college and pro sports for whatever reason. I guess that's just old school taboos that are kind of coming down these days. But in pro sports, I think a good baseball, hockey, or NBA fight is entertaining and it's good. I mean, in, in the same way, to a lesser degree, that you said earlier in the show that this cheating scandal is good for baseball because it creates buzz it creates attention it's something you don't see all the time I mean the mouse at the palace was terrible but we're still talking about it today so I mean that was a classic moment in the history in, in, in the NBA was it quote-unquote good no but I'm kind of happy that it happened I mean nobody died nobody went to the hospital I don't think maybe the guy that took the sucker punch from Jermaine O'Neal <laughs> he, may, he may have gone to the hospital but he was fine You know, I think, I don't know, maybe he wasn't, but generally speaking, I enjoy it. You know, I do understand why they have to punish the guys that do it. I think that baseball does a particularly shockingly, not shockingly, I should say, does a not shockingly poor job of sort of with the suspensions, you know, that that I feel like they kind of, it's very willy nilly. There's no real consistency to it. Again, I get why they do it, but I think the sports basically would be better off, particularly baseball, if they just let the players police themselves, fight it out. You know, you got to draw the line somewhere. But there's very few big brawls per season in Major League Baseball. Again, entertaining, good for the game. I like it. The college thing is different. Uh, these college guys are going to get just—they're going to get suspended for the rest of the year. I'm afraid. I th- I don't know if that's the proper way to go, you know, but clearly I think Kansas instigated it when they had a big lead at home. It was kind of a bullshit move. Was it D'Souza? I well, think, you knew stood it over was the guy and then he later had the chair in his hand. He's not playing against. But So the,
1: the real issue I think was just the, it was like the perfect storm of circumstances where it was at the final horn. So like you're not really –
0: Oh, I didn't realize it was that. It was, like, was absolutely It was with
1: warning. one set. They put one second back left on the clock. Okay. So Kansas State stole it and was like trying to go for a breakaway layup that was completely inconsequential with the scores and make it twenty two or twenty. Um, and D'Souza took like was like oh, yeah, I'm not gonna let you have that that easy. Blocks it and just stands over him problem is the game was over so he's not really worried about a technical at that point in time or being tossed at that point in time because it like he hears the horn but on top of it he's right in front of the k-state bench and because for the rest of them the game's over too they're like well we don't give do a shit anymore we'll, we'll go defend our guy and uh it, i mean it was just the, the worst possible circumstance for him to stand over him like he did and taunt him in front of all of his teammates uh it was just it was a disaster from the start and I think you're right. I think he probably doesn't play again this year, the D'Souza guy, and, and there's probably gonna be other suspensions that come out of it. And that was an ugly scene. I think anytime I mean, any, anytime it, it spills into the stands, that's generally a bad deal. Um yeah, agree. So it's not like I think Malice in the Palace was like actually a good thing. I think it's kind of a terrifying proposition to think that like you could No, you
0: could. I'm not advocating for players <laughs> punching fans. But it was a hell of a time. It was a
1: hell of a time. I will I will agree with you there. I
0: remember exactly where I was when it happened. I could I, I mean I could. You know what remember. I do too. Okay. I was
1: at an Oregon basketball game at uh, the old MacArthur Court before they changed venues, watching a Ducks game live simultaneously as that uh, Pistons game was go or was it was it Pistons? It was Pistons Pacers, right? Um, yes. As that game was going on, and we I mean I don't even think we had Twitter yet, so. It oh, was, it was
0: definitely not.
1: Um, and I don't, have any, but, but basically there was like kind of a buzz in the crowd about, there was this crazy fight in the NBA tonight and people were like, yeah, whatever. And they're like, no, seriously, it's like the craziest thing we've ever seen. They were punching fans and we were like, what? And me and the, like two or three guys that I was with. We just tried to figure out whose house we knew that was the closest, and we like sprinted to it to go watch Sports Center. And we picked, you know, we picked the one that was two blocks away. I, I vividly remember leaving MacArthur Court, being like, "I have to see what happened."
0: Yeah, so I looked it up. You want to venture a guess as to what year the mouse of the Palace was? I'm going to
1: say it was 2004.
0: Uh, Great guess! November 19th, 2004. Okay. I mean, you remembering you being in college certainly helps narrow that down, but yeah. So, well, I remember I, knew it was, I, I just, must I,
1: I piece together as my sophomore year of college.
0: So I was living in San Diego at the time. I must have been home in Virginia for Thanksgiving. It had to have been because I remember I went out to dinner with my parents and got home and just turned on Sports Center, and it was just like. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. And I just remember like yelling to my dad, like, "Dad, you got to come see this!" And it kind of
1: went from there. It was one of those little... moments you could not believe what you were seeing.
0: It was crazy. Yeah, still is. Um, interesting little footnote. I had never realized this, but Tim Donahy was a referee in that oh. game that night. Interesting. Yeah, very yeah, quite quite interesting. Um. I don't really have a wild card, man. I I didn't have one last week either. Had a few, but I think we've I think we've uh, served the fans. I think they've gotten their money's worth here. Yeah, I
1: think I think I think episode seventy was a success. As long as Gronk goes back and listens to sixty nine, we're all good.
0: Yeah. So let's get together next week for seventy one and talk about uh, how we're both going to go to the waste management open in Phoenix and talk about the Super Bowl and maybe maybe we'll find out that Altuve was, has been wearing a buzzer inside his jersey for every game of his career by then.
1: We, you know what? A lot could happen between now and then.
0: A lot could and probably will happen. But uh, I'm off to Virginia. I'll be back uh, on Sunday night, and we'll talk again on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Ryan, have a great week and weekend. Good night, everybody. Sleep have a night. great trip.
1: Good night, y'all.